0: Just a quick note from me before we get into this week's episode, unfortunately, the recording quality is not as strong as it normally is due to user error on my part. Apologize in advance, and I hope to do better next time. So please forgive me, and I hope you enjoy this episode.
1: You're listening to
0: Agile Ideas, the podcast, hosted by Fatima Rabuchi. For anyone listening out there not having a good day, please know there is help out there. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Agile Ideas. I'm Fatima, CEO at Agile Management Office, Mental Health Ambassador, and your host. This podcast is made possible thanks to Agile Management Office. We help businesses in three key ways, improving organizational culture and delivery, supporting transformation and change, and streamlining governance and process. We use 20 years of proven practice and the AMO way model. In today's episode, I have a very special guest. I have the phenomenal Lucy Greason. Now, this episode was really, 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 really fun. Why? Because Lucy and I have been working together for a really long time, and she is an absolute gem of a person, as well as an expert in all things Agile and PMO, as well as a certified accountant by trade. Lucy and I got together and we had a great discussion on all things Agile and banking. What is it? What does it mean? Why does it matter? Learning more about the observations and firsthand experiences with everything to do with Agile in banking. We shared some insights and experiences, what we're currently seeing in the landscape And also a little bit more about why banks may be leading the trend in Agile, but at what cost. And we also deep dive into a few other topics like governance, culture, and capability. This ties into our very special white paper release of the same name. So if you would like to make sure you receive a copy, please head to our website at www.agilemanagementoffice.com. And now time for the conversation. Welcome, Lucy. Thank you. Nice to be here. It's so exciting to actually be in a physical office. We're in a little meeting room in our um, head office building and it's actually really nice. So it's good to physically be out. I know that you said you wore heels for the first time in a while today and
1: (laughs) getting used to that again. (laughs) That's true. I am getting used to my heels today. Yes.
0: Usually, you know, just in slippers at home, I'm sure, like most of us.
1: It's lovely to be back in um, in Melbourne, in the city, and see each other face-to-face.
0: Definitely, definitely. So today, we are going to be talking about all things Agile in Banking. Um, And when we decided to do this podcast, um, you recall we were talking about putting out some information around Agile and how it applies across different industries. And we were talking about like what industry should we start with. And then we thought, hang on a minute, collectively, we've probably spent the most time in banking and financial services, not just in the last six years in AMO, but in our careers in general, amongst other industries. So we thought, let's start there. So Agile in banking, what is it? What does it mean? What do we need to know? What are the challenges? We're going to cover all of that and more. But um, where do we start?
1: It's interesting, isn't it? So if we consider, um, I think most of us understand what agile is, why is it different in banking is something that's quite uh, interesting to consider. So maybe I go first. So I think that um, something that's really unique to the banking sector is that it's a really heavily regulated environment. And so whatever we do has to kind of dovetail and respect that. So we've got this concept of agile delivery, which is quick and fast and lean in the context of a heavily regula- regulated environment and everything that comes along with that. So I think a challenge that is very, um, well, very much exists for a bank is how do we move fast when we're such a large institution and we've got the shackles of all of our um, processes and all of our systems that don't integrate that well and have traditionally not allowed things to move that fast. How do we bring this concept of, you know, fast and fail when traditionally institutional these kind of institutional environments
0: are not necessarily encouraged to fail. It's a it's a really good point that I'm sure we're going to delve into because not only have we heard about what's going on, we're actually learning through doing by having worked in many of the banks and financial services, which we'll refer to as banking for the rest of the conversation. Sure. Um, but ultimately, you're right, the the whole premise of Agile has come around quite um. You know, it's it's been emerging. I mean, it's been around for over 25 years, but really in the banking sector, it's probably been emerging. I'd probably say maybe in the last five or six years, coincidentally, as long as we've been around. Um, And although we think about agile in terms of, you know, mindset and adaptability, quick decision making, it's actually something that I think people underestimate that ultimately it is not something that organizations are going to be able to do. Fast and do overnight, even though it's all about, you know, moving at pace. Um, but it's actually about them putting in place the foundations that are going to enable them that agility that comes with it. So, I think um, it's really interesting to see that I think banking is probably ahead of the pack in terms of rolling out Agile. Um, we've seen some of the larger banks um, implementing a particular framework around Agile, although they have made it, you know, made it their own. So, call it a bit hybrid. Um, but as Agile is becoming more and more mainstream, there's now more challenges um, that these organizations are facing. So I'm kind of really keen to, yeah, just delve into that a bit deeper. I think it would be probably worthwhile just touching on, I mean, there's sort of myths and, con- myths and misconceptions around why they start and why they're going down the Agile path. You've got a financial background. Um, I often hear and see the main reason is financial cost cutting um, and it usually starts with a restructure which is obviously not, not a great thing. But is there any other sort of reasons you've heard as to why they supposedly go down this agile path other than speed? Because, you know, sure. that's one thing. Yeah.
1: My, my experience um, is the, the, the drivers there in the banking sector um, because we need to get better at delivery. So traditionally, um, projects that I've worked on have been very long-ranging, very much uh, waterfall-structured. And there's just a real uh, desire in the banking community to demonstrate value and to do that in an iterative way. I think that banks um, are becoming much more cognizant of demonstrating that value and also their um, capability and capacity to deliver. Yeah, so I think um, also my experience is that the focus on uh, why we're doing projects and why we're developing is very much moving towards that customer has to come first So the customer must come first. So anything that we're doing is about responding to that need. And in order to do that, customers' needs, as we know, change daily. Mm -hmm. Um, And agile agile, um, is so important in the banking community in in order that we can actually respond to those changing customer needs in a timely way, um, in a cost-effective way, And I think that um, one of the biggest challenges that I um, see us facing as an industry is that capability is definitely there um, in my colleagues and people I work with around the people capability and the mindset. However, banks are big institutions Mm -hmm. and I'm not sure that... The processes and systems always support
0: what we're trying to do. It's, yeah. it's a really good point if you look at um, the study done by the Agility Institute, um, the 15th State of Agile report. It states that uh, out of you know the vast amount of people that they actually surveyed, in this survey they said that 46% of Agile challenges were around inconsistent processes and practices across teams. Sure, And interestingly, um, I would agree with you, there is some challenges around capability and process. In particular, one of those areas is around, you know, there's the whole structure around setting up from the top down and therefore starts with the restructure and changes the lines of business and whatnot. And then you've got all these sort of individual tribes. Now, Agile being all about collaboration, we should be working more closely together. But unfortunately, you've now got um, tribe upon tribe, each doing their own things in different ways, which means the way that they control delivery is different, the way that they govern is different. The way that they um, manage, I guess, reporting up the line is somewhat different. Yes. The only thing that I kind of see very similar is probably that front end around the investing, uh, the investment slate and sort of managing the financials that are coming down from the top. Um, is there any other sort of uh, areas that you've seen that are similar across the banks or is it more on the disparate side, sort of like what I've just described?
1: I think that it's a very interesting observation that um, yes, we most banks have got agile delivery teams and a very kind of established tribe process around that. Um, however, most banks also have a very um structured investment process. So yes, with regard to um you know bidding for money to undertake projects, there's a there's a there is a process around that. And it's not usually agile, in my experience. So there's a a request for um, funding for a portfolio. There's a a single allocation of money that that fits within um, the financial life cycle of the organisation. And then the allocation of that money is usually um, a bit of a a one-time kind of process. So there's a question around whether um, within that strategic investment process, do we really stop and start? Do we really test and learn? Do we do we really do that? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that we probably do it successfully and, and unsuccessfully, um, depending on the maturity of the part of the organisation that you're working in. Um, in addition to that, most banks have um, a governance framework that suits over everything, which may or may not be congruent with the delivery methodology. So, um, for instance, you may be in a team that is um, undertaking two week sprints and big room planning, etc., etc., and then you're also trying to squeeze into a monthly reporting cycle. That asks for certain parts of information that you may or may not have, or you may have in different ways, and it's just how you um, accommodate that overhead within a project environment without creating um, creating a distraction for the, the delivery team. And it's yeah, it's that nuanced rope, I guess, that we walk between. Delivering and that delivering momentum and that energy around that, whilst also meeting regulatory requirements mm-hmm. and um, satisfying the governance needs of the organization.
0: Mm-hmm. I agree. I think, um, in that sort of example, one of the things I've seen is. There's a big disconnect between the sort of investment slate and envelopes that funding envelopes that are panned down um, and then reporting back up. So, I recall one experience working within one of the larger banks um, in the last few years where we were each called to, you know, quarterly sort of planning activities where we had to report back up around what we were spending the money on and how that was done. And I recall some sort of quite um, quite significant request for us to look at things like the number of story points that we were, you know, using to deliver um, the work that we were working on. Um, so, like to me, there's a disconnect. Like we're talking about story points investment like i feel there's a disconnect between what the top level of management is asking for and seeing versus what's simmering under the surface so even though i feel like agile is probably more advanced in the banking sector than maybe any other industry personally um i feel like there's some underlying challenges um you've got things such as Aging core platforms, the mergers and acquisitions that we're seeing banks doing quite con- um, considerably. Um, you've got the complexities f- um, facing banks based on what's going on with competitors such as their neo banks. You've got um, there's just quite a large variety of challenges and one of the things that I think we've probably spent a lot of time is is the problems that existed before they even decided to go down an agile transformation path mm-hmm. first of all agile transformation agile transformation they're, they're kind of like the opposite of each other right yeah so they're yeah. trying to do it an adoption of agile and doing it as a transformation it just kind of doesn't Resonate really well. Um, But anyways, I guess the point I'm I'm making is if we think about what's simmering under the surface, including pre-existing challenges, it'd be good to probably look at a bit of that because the funding is one thing, but then there's a few others that we're seeing. And I think it would be worth people hearing about some of those other challenges that maybe those at the top don't see or hear about. So...
1: Yeah, um, I think um, one thing I do notice is that... um, In the big banks, um, gosh, we're, well, hopefully post-COVID now. And I just noticed that there's a real energy to look towards the future and to grow. And yes, a lot of the programs that have um, been undertaken by the banking sector in the past have been very retrospective and quite heavy in terms of um, the way that they look backwards certainly fixing up problems and broken systems and and processes that have just been customised over time. But I do think there's a real energy within the sector to be far more responsive to customer needs and to grow and to offer more interesting products. I think traditionally it used to be um, for a customer engaging with a bank, it would be like, here's the offering, what do you want? Like, that is literally not going to cut it anymore. The customers are telling us what they want. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they're they're going to expect that need to be satisfied. Um, Where we go with crypto and, you know, omni-channel and good digital experiences for customers, there's a long way to go. And I can't really see unless... We really embrace the forward momentum that agile brings. How we're going to keep up, yeah. So I feel that um, the prominence of agile is not going to go away. Um, and yes, I think we just touched on it. It's it's heavily customized, you know, depending on the. Um, the environment of the the particular bank, but it undeniably um, is supporting a quicker delivery. Um, One thing that I do think will be a challenge over time is just going back to the funding rounds and how how they're structured. So you get an amount of money to deliver a certain amount of scope. Scope naturally flexes up and down in agile delivery, And how do we how do we how do we measure that? How do we make sure that what we're delivering is, um, I guess, the right thing Mm -hmm. at the right time? Mm -hmm. And how do we really demonstrate that value? I think that uh, the demonstration of value in the banking sector has has always been an area of challenge. And how do you how do you really monitor um, that capability uplift and um, achieving your strategy and yeah, I think it's – I think that
0: there's probably a lot of work for us to do in that area. Exciting work, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's thinking about sort of what metrics they can use. You know, like we, we've worked on a project together where we were able to demonstrate a 15% uplift in employee engagement scores. We were able to see a rise in the NP, customer NPS scores and things like that. So it's just about working out – banks have access to a ton of data. Yeah. So it's like how could we leverage – that data in different ways i know that when you look at sort of the pmos where we've spent a lot of time in as well in project management offices for those that are not familiar we think about sort of the traditional sort of areas of of what you know pmos get involved in and and they're really supposed to be there helping with that value realization but it does make it really challenging so we we i think we we've spoken previously and you mentioned um around organizations that are adopting agile to be able to adjust strategy on the fly i think that was one of the things that you and i were talking about last time um, and that's you know not necessarily starting and stopping work like you would traditionally do um, i was on a program recently that after a considerable amount of money was spent the project just stopped um, despite all of the work that had been done today it's just gone into the ether for who knows how long um, so thinking about being able to pause, reflect, and then pivot as opposed to just stopping and starting work would probably add value
1: for, for delivery. Sure. And isn't it interesting to consider the data to support those kind of decisions and how accessible that is? I completely agree that um the banking yeah it's, there's a lot of data. There is a lot of data But how do we harness the power in that and use that to inform decisions and create kind of fairness and comparison amongst all the different portfolios? Um, Yeah, because ultimately, when we're making decisions, you would want them to be data. 100%. Yeah. It's
0: actually a really interesting point, because if you think back to sort of the way that they used to traditionally run projects... It was fairly easy for someone in finance, for example, to pick up a business case and read it or to understand, yes, you did or didn't meet your strategic objectives for that initiative. Now, the complication of adding all of this information into, you know, the agile toys, um, as you called it last time, you know, into tools is like we're expecting finance to log in and look at, data and information in tools like JIRA and and whatnot, as an example, um, no longer do we see 50-page PowerPoints, but we get links to confluence pages. And and I just don't think one of the challenges I've seen personally being really problematic for, for the banks is I don't think that we've gotten people in the operations space such as HR or finance and those that are not traditionally part of delivery that maybe have gaps in their knowledge around project management get them up to speed with project management, let alone now adding the complexities of Agile. Because if you think about all of the training and the coaching, that's pretty predominantly done for people in delivery.
1: So, there's a gap in operations. That's a good point. And I think, um just going back to your first point there, the transparency around delivery is a very, a very common conversation thread amongst many of the projects that, that I work in. So, well, I guess what we have to be careful of is um, Agile is so brilliant at creating energy and collaboration in that team environment, but it can also um, create an element of, of kind of like outside of the organisation for the team. Um, as they're kind of energised and excited by what they're working on, we, how do we make sure that we um, the, the wider organisation maintains transparency of that delivery? Because there will always be a need for that things like dependency mm-hmm. risk issue mm-hmm. it's all still very very relevant mm-hmm. and how do we make sure that we're not um introducing risk unnecessarily for the organization mm-hmm. um and yes it, it, it's very important to not um yeah like isolate the from the rest of the organization mm-hmm. so for sure if there's a team in finance that really needs to understand very clearly what you're delivering, why the cost, the benefit, um, and also um, the business engagement piece. I think is something that um, you know if, if you're receiving outputs from an agile delivery team, mm-hmm. do you understand that and what that means in terms of your operating? With them, the may the, the, the change plan might look really different, mm-hmm. and the the release into your business unit might look really different, mm-hmm. um, and you deserve the same investment in in that um that understanding and that education too in order for the project to be successful.
0: A hundred percent. I mean if you think about like traditionally when they you know pre-agile days, if the project manager finishes a project, throw it over the fence and they already moved on to the next project. Yes. But there's no there's no acceptance of you know the change or understanding or, or maybe they haven't even thought about how it impacts the sort of be particularly where In the last sort of five or six years, we've seen a significant reduction in change management and project management office resources. I mean, when speaking to some CIOs about four years ago, I I asked them what they were doing around the project management offices now that they were sort of embracing agile in their teams, and many of them said dissolving, if not resizing and reducing. But there's a shift now because we've realized one of the biggest challenges is that understanding around the role that governance plays is not just about governance, but it's about alignment around capabilities and alignment around culture. And that's a role that adaptive PMOs could provide. And so I feel like there's a sort of resurgence, I think, of PMO or PMO-type roles in these banks that wasn't there four, three, four years ago.
1: We've certainly seen that. I'm um, first-hand seeing the PMO coming back as being a necessary conduit between delivery and overarching governance. Change is a very interesting area. I know um, in the uh, well, in a number of the projects that, I, that I've been involved in, there's a lot of scarcity around a uh, good change management resource, which, as we all know, is absolutely essential to um, any successful implementation. Um, yeah, and actually the whole just
0: stopped. It stops. Yeah, just stopped. I'll connect it. Yeah, just start for remember when. Yeah, say that again. Yeah, I'll just quickly check the microphone. It just stopped. Yeah. See, this my computer's just having problems. Okay.
1: Is it
0: when it, when it kind of your screen saver came on? Yeah, I think it yeah. kind of zoomed it, yeah. in. Okay, so just start back where you were saying. I don't know if you remember when. So yeah. say that again.
1: I don't know if you remember when, um, it was almost acceptable for a project to deliver a change up to the tech go-life point. And then there would be, um, a handover at that stage. And then ultimately the business engagement and the, um, yeah, the, the, the business go-life could be picked up by a separate team. Now agile delivery, definitely, um, it's the opposite of that. It's end to end, where I'm noticing at the moment just because of the um, the restrictions in the market that we're almost going back a little bit to the just forgetting how important business engagement is about the life lifecycle of um, uh, projects and how essential that is in delivering value. It's um, a good point
0: because one of the things I kind of was experiencing in recent year was around the fixation of, we well, you know there's impacts to to, to timelines because of res- lack of resources or the hiring sort of challenges that companies are facing everywhere, not just banks. Um, and it's really interesting seeing that considering banks pay, you know, quite, quite well. Um, then understanding that with the lack of resources or resource retention, which we'll talk about in a minute, but then the scope doesn't change. So yeah. we need to think like Agile is about uh, you know, adjusting on the fly and adjusting our scope and working with our customers and so forth. But I wasn't seeing in areas that I've worked in any adjustments to scope despite having such limited resource capacity. Um, so I think there's some challenges there that were impacting delivery that are going to probably keep happening as a result of COVID as well.
1: Yeah, and my, my experience has been the same. that um, Yes, the market's tight as we know, particularly in um, you know specific skill sets. Certainly around uh, technical capability uh, change, I'm noticing, uh, as I mentioned previously. But yes, I'm not seeing a dial down of expectation in scope at the moment, whether it will come to that eventually. Um, but yeah, I'm seeing a lot of tired people. So. Yeah. Which is, yeah, it's it. It's, it's a real challenge. It's a real challenge, particularly with a strong growth agenda and, you know, the energy in the market and the requirements to maintain, maintain a competitive advantage with a limited resource.
0: And I think sometimes, um, you, know, you know, you assume a lack of resources is just because you don't have budget to hire resources. I don't think that's the problem. I feel like agility in some organisations, has become so dysfunctional. It's um, There's misunderstandings around it. There is um, a lack of clarity around simple things such as processes or control points. Um, the basic operational guardrails are not evident. And all of that noise is actually, I think, the reason why we are, or well, these organisations are, um struggling when it comes to the cultural upset that I think is happening under the surface. Um, As you said, people are stressed out, um, many conversations, people overworked. I don't think it's that there's just too much work to do and there's just not enough people. I actually think it's all of the underlying challenges and complexity around not fixing problems um and like you said before the dependencies between tribes and the way that we govern and provide those guardrails for teams i just think there's so mixed between the areas it's becoming really hard to understand how anyone delivers and makes it even more challenging when resources move from one team to another it's just very dysfunctional and i think that's a big gap that banks need to solve for if they want to keep i guess the cultural upset
1: challenge. Yeah, is yeah. down. Um, definitely, um, I've, I've experienced firsthand a um, frustration in ability to to deliver. That yeah, I agree with you. That it certainly wasn't purely um, resource specific. It's system and process specific. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yes, look, you know, the market is that tight. that internal teams are competing against each other for top talent. Now, is that a bad thing? Um, does that mean that the top talent are moving towards where um, the value is for the organisation? I would say yes, primarily. Um, but I think attrition levels um, will need to be really closely
0: monitored. Yeah, Got to start asking questions, not just accept that and blame it on the COVID situation or the market being busy. We need to be asking why retention um, of staff is high or higher than what maybe it was previously, definitely. particularly
1: if it's, you know, particular parts of the business Mm -hmm. or particular Mm -hmm. projects, yes, one would hope that the question would be asked around specific circumstances, yeah. I I recall
0: um, a recent example in the last um, year and a half, one area um, in one organisation saw more than a dozen people in one team leave within a three or four month period like that is just ridiculous and and not really having I guess the time or the foresight to actually ask the questions why it's just accepting and then looking for alternative resources so I think there's some real issues there that we we need to well they need to be addressed and they need to be thought about along with um, along with capability along with governance right at the beginning of any agile transformation don't wait till after the fact Um, and I think that's actually another point on that that these transformations tend to lead with you know really big consulting firm that comes in and helps but they don't understand your organization and your culture and this governance around it so I think there's a big disconnect between the big strategy and what's simmering under the surface. Yeah
1: something just came to mind then I'm thinking of in your example, so for instance, you've got a project um, of squad within a the larger kind of tribe and the project is not working, you've got really high levels of, of, um, of attrition and it kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier about the transparency over delivery. When you've got a tribe of say 200 plus people and a number of projects within that, Sometimes things can fall through the cracks, and I think that it's quite interesting to consider that against traditional waterfall delivery, where that would I would suggest be more likely to have you know some kind of um, light around that. Mm-hmm. Where I think that um, not that there is more space to hide, but there is sometimes things just aren't necessarily transparent within. Yeah really big tribes yeah yeah
0: especially when you add the complication of what can be considered quite complex tools um, that i've mentioned before that um you know can do really amazing um things but also make it really easy to kind of high pine. i remember one uh, team that i worked with had hundreds upon hundreds of active story points Uh, sorry, uh, cards, um, stories in there, but they weren't using it effectively. So it was really difficult to actually see what the roadmap was, what the timelines were, what work was being done. So again, this comes around to process. Now, this area may have been less mature than other areas. Maybe you did it a lot better. But again, not having sort of those operational guardrails that you would probably get in a pre-agile sort of heavy environment, which we've experienced as well, um, does mean that accountability is accountability and decision-making around that information is really challenged.
1: Um, yeah, and, and, and sometimes, um, you know, depending on the, the maturity of, um, of the coach or the tribe lead, um, just the requirement to have those capacity and capability conversations. You can be really good at making an amazing storyboard, and um, but do you actually have the capacity and the capability? Um, yeah, I see that. Sometimes that isn't always hit head on. There's assumptions made around that,
0: and 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 also when when it's coming from a place of theory as opposed to practice, yeah. which is another big gap as well.
1: Yeah. Um, and, but yeah, just to your point about the backlog as well. You know, we've all worked up in those kind of projects where your backlog just gets bigger and bigger mm-hmm. and bigger. Mm-hmm. And again, it's um it, it's around creating transparency around that. Mm-hmm. That would be a red flag, and it's how you. How you kind of um, bring that up into the wider, um, more traditional governance structure, like what are the specific risks and issues and blockers around an increasing backlog, for instance?
0: Definitely. And it's these sorts of things that we've thought about over the last six years, um, particularly with the way model and method um, to help organisations to bridge those gaps across the value chain rather than just assuming that the same governance that applied before would work or no governance. Um, I get a lot of comments that we don't need governance. You know, we're self-steering autonomous teams. Well, then I say to them, have you seen yourselves without governance? It's chaotic. It's absolutely chaotic. Um, Just closing out on the accountability and decision-making. I know that in many of the sort of larger organizations that have gone through that transformation, almost every one of them has gone through removing layers of management. Um, obviously, cost costs, um, cutting and, and there's an assumption there's less red tape, more clear direction, but I actually feel like it might have actually created a little bit more um, of the opposite effect. So um, understanding less, um, having, having more oversight across a lot more larger teams has meant it's really difficult for any one person to be across all that's needed. So even simple decisions that you would want to get an answer on, just you have to wait a month to get in front of a, a equivalent steering committee, you know, with whatever Agile name you want to give it, ceremony to actually get an answer on something because these people, these, these senior executives are just so busy. Now they're looking after more. So I don't know if you've seen that as well,
1: but it was just one of the things I think is also
0: causing some challenges. I
1: do think as well that um, my experience would be that it can be challenging to access um, basic understanding around roadmap. So, yes, we've got all of these projects going on and they're all contributing to this wider strategic objective, but ultimately when does it end and when's the value drop, which is, you know, often a question that's answered quite um, easily through waterfall delivery methods. And also um, really being clear around, which I've mentioned previously, but dependency risk and issue. Yeah, and it's how, and and I agree that um, I'm experiencing the more traditional governance roles coming back Mm -hmm. to be that conduit. And obviously that's very much the space that we work in where we can um, ask and support and connect in terms of those, those
0: um, you know, on occasion, challenging questions. Definitely. It's definitely a balance um, between what worked in the past in those highly very structured, rigid governance-type roles and environments where if we think about traditional governance, it was it's always and always almost been about the who, who is leading the function, who's leading the EPMO, who's leading the department um, PMO, who's leading the portfolio governance, whatever you want to call it. Now we've got to flip that on its head and we need to think about starting with the why, then what it is that we're doing, our capabilities, then how, and then the who, because people are coming in and out. So we need to flip that. And I think that a fundamental part of an adaptive governance function um, which is so critical and i think that's the missing link between what could looks like for an organization that's trying to adopt agile but also needs to still have some of that governance that's essential because it's a solution it's not a problem people think governance sure. is a problem it's not so that's another area i think we could spend a long time about um so we've kind of talked about I guess, challenges, um, what about some of the, I guess, key uh, drivers for successful implementation of Agile or some, I guess, ideas that the people listening that are in banking could potentially take forward?
1: So I think um, one of the things that, that's most important um, to remember is Agile is no one-size-fits-all. Essentially, it is whatever you want it to be or whatever you want or whatever your organisation wants it to be. But to me, um, it's very much a mindset. And if the people don't collectively share that mindset, that will literally dictate whether agile delivery will be successful or not. So um, what what I mean by that is if you don't have uh, the people behind the momentum and the way that decisions are made – and the way that um, there's collaboration and the way that it's about rapid removal of blockers and test and learn and fail fast and supporting that without that you don't have agile you might have jury you might have confluence but you will
0: have agile delivery it's, it's all pinned by the being agile, not just doing agile.
1: Well, because, I feel, yeah. in my experience, you know, at the end of the day, if you're um, presenting something in, in an agile way that you're kind of, you know, 70% there and you're looking for some collaboration and you've got a leadership team just wanting, a, you know, a, a cut and dried solution and you can't engage people in that, then... Things are going to start slow, slowing down, mm-hmm. as an example. Mm-hmm. Um, if you don't have people that have got the mindset that actually, you know, we've got these 10 things that we need to do, but six of them are really important, the mm-hmm. other four can, can, can wait. Mm-hmm. Again, if you've just got that totality mindset where it's like, no, this is what we set out to do and we must do all of this and that's not agile. And equally that, um, that capacity, that intellectual capacity to say, well, this is what we set out to do, um, but actually it's not working. Mm-hmm. It's changed and having openness to engage in that conversation. Um, if, if that, the, like, the liberation of Agile is shut down, then I think it would be very hard to be successful at Agile. So, yeah, I think it's all about the people and the attitude. Yeah, 100%
0: not hiding behind it. I find um I've had conversations as, as early, as, sorry, as recent as last week where someone said to me, oh, they're bringing in Agile to this particular bank or they're bringing in Agile. I don't know what's the point. Why are they doing that? I don't get it. I'm, yeah, keep it away from me. And um del- delving a bit deeper with the conversation, it was just the the person's lack of understanding. You know, they, they'd seen or experienced bad agile, Um, just like, you know, bad anything. If you have a bad experience, of course, you're going to have that negative um, feeling about it. So, yeah, there's a real chance here to help people If they start with the why and they start with the mindset first. Um, And I know that's terms used a lot and people throwing around left, right, and center, but really, mindset is being, like I said, open to change, being collaborative. It's about all those soft skills that underpin good agile, or as we call it, small A agile as well. And as I mentioned before, being adaptive, definitely being adaptive. Um, I think one of the other things that, sort of, from my perspective, that is an opportunity or an idea is, um, as sort of what we've been doing in the work we do with clients, is even even thinking about customers to delivery, Not, I mean, as an organization, we need to think about customers, external customers. But even internally, think of us, the people that work with you that are going to help you make your delivery successful, people in your team as customers, the executives you report to as your customers. If we think about it from that perspective, we can do our own sort of customer journey mapping to see things from their perspective the way we would do with external customers. So you don't have to restrict customer journey mapping and you know, thinking about things like human-centered design principles or any of those things based on just an external customer. Think of your people around you as your internal customers as well. So that would probably be one of the ones that I would think about going back to customer-driven models, which you mentioned earlier.
1: Uh, so it's a healthy mindset, and um, I can only see positives for an organization by taking that on. Um, It's interesting because I think we forget that sometimes, but that is one of the real um, benefits of Agile I get, that it supports breaking down those silos within, you know, the kind of classic business tech divide or divides that might exist within, um, you know, certain business areas. Yeah, I think at its heart, if you can see everybody is a customer, you can see good things coming out of that. Definitely. Yeah.
0: Okay, we're nearly out of time today. Um, I guess um, thinking about sort of some of the, the excuse me, next steps um, for people listening is um, we do have a Agile in Banking white paper being released very, very shortly. So to uh, make sure that you are the first to receive that, um, please go to www.agilemanagementoffice.com for forward slash subscribe um, where more information will be on our website before we close out is there anything else that you wanted to share about agile in banking or in general uh, that might help people feel think or be inspired today
1: well um i would just say uh, personally to be open to it and to select the parts of it that um that you feel personally aligned to is a really good start. And to be inclusive as you use Agile. And I think um, just to be motivated by putting the customer first, as they should be
0: very well said I agree 100% and just encourage that creativity and collaboration just be open to it otherwise you know and maybe have some fun yeah I know if that's possible definitely 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 have a lot of fun we're back in the offices now so we start using post-its again not the (laughs) digital kind awesome well thanks so much Lucy for joining and I look forward to doing more work together in the coming months and years so thanks so much for listening you've been listening to Agile Ideas thank you so much for listening to this podcast please share this with someone or rate it if you enjoyed it Don't forget to follow us on social media and to stay up to date with all things agile ideas. Go to our website, www.agilemanagementoffice.com. I hope you've been able to learn, feel or be inspired today. Until next time, what's your agile idea?